All right, it is a 25-point lead with three minutes left in the game, so I think it's relatively fair to just start recording here. Knicks versus Hawks Game 3 did not go particularly well for the Knicks. If you are new to this channel, subscribe and drop a like on its video. It is much appreciated, especially if you are coming over from my main channel and you consistently watch these second channel videos. Just fucking subscribe. It's not that hard. Uh... Gonna talk about Knicks Hawks today because as soon as the buzzer sounds, the Knicks will, or not, it's not the Knicks, the Hawks will officially be up 3-1 to the Knicks. Uh, it is, yeah, it's still a 25 point lead with three minutes left remaining. So, uh, gonna be the Hawks winning this one unless some, unless the greatest comeback of all time happens. So, the head or the not the headline i'm not a fucking writer the title of this video is going to be that uh julius randall has been terrible in the playoffs and i think that's been the biggest factor as to why the knicks have struggled and why they're going down 3-1 even in the one game that the knicks did win they didn't really win it because of randall they won it because of their defense being better they won it just because other players contributed derrick rose was a huge factor in that win uh, and really, Derrick Rose has probably been the best player in the series for the Knicks, which as much as I'd like to credit Derrick Rose for that, at the same time, outside of this game, R.J. Barrett has not played well. So uh, he, he's played well in this game. But other than that, not really happened. Uh, so and Randall has been terrible. So as much credit as I want to give Derrick Rose for being the best player in this series for the Knicks, at the same time, it's not a particularly high bar. Uh so that's a problem. Like, Derrick Rose, as good as he is still, that him being the best player on a playoff team, that playoff team is probably not going to go particularly far. Uh, this, it, it, Julius Randle has just been terrible. And what's ironic about this uh, is that looking at this box score right now, 21, 10, 7 assists on 37% shooting, that's probably, the, this is probably the best fucking game Julius Randle has had in this series, because I did not watch game three. I came back from a long day out, and I was fucking exhausted. I walked all around the college campus in the hot, like, 95 degree weather in all black clothes, because I was a fucking idiot. So, didn't watch game three, because I had to sleep. But, uh, in the three games thus far before this one. So looking at these stats, this is definitely the best game he's had today. 15 points, 12 rebounds, 3 assists, 24% from the field, 18 field goal attempts a game, 30% from 3 on 7 attempts. So that's what the stats say. Uh, they're obviously going to improve after this game because this game was better. He was also much better in the second half of game 2. Like he actually played pretty respectable at that point and it's worth mentioning that while he has not scored much he has created a lot of open shots that players just have not made today they have been making them hence the seven assists but like the three assists per game that he's averaging from these playoffs does not really at least for the first two games i don't know about game three does not properly reflect how well Randall has distributed in this series. It just seems that anytime he passes to somebody, uh, it doesn't go in. It's like the anti-dimer badge, I suppose. Uh, so 
I give him that credit. Also been a good rebounder, and he's been a pretty all right defensive player, relatively speaking. Of course, I've mentioned his issue stepping up in the pick and roll, especially against Trey Young. That same issue has still existed, though, with Nerlens Noel. And really, the Knicks can't defend Trey Young worth shit. So I'm not going to just slap Randall with that being his fault. And while Julius Randall is 26 years old, it is worth mentioning that this is his first playoffs. Like, he was on the Lakers when they were terrible, and then he was on the Pelicans when they were also not good, and then he was on the Knicks last year, who were obviously terrible, uh, and then this year, first time he's been on a playoff team. So, first playoffs, not going well, but at the same time, the guy has been in the league for how many years now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven seasons? Um... I feel like at that amount of playing in the NBA level, you should at least be 50% of what you were in the regular season. Like, fuck, like at least shoot 30% from the field. Maybe is that a, is that a big ask? I don't know. Uh, so Julius Randle, not a good playoff debut for him. Of course, there's still some games to be played. Maybe he'll turn it around. Uh, I will say I was hesitant on Randle as well as RJ Barrett going into this year's playoffs uh, just because, and, and, and I got shit for this from Knicks fans, but I was like, I don't believe that these guys are as good of shooters as the regular season numbers have indicated. It's happened all the time where a okay shooter has a great shooting season and then they go into the playoffs and then they're not good shooting wise. I can think of Al Farouk Aminu and Mo Harkless. These are like the go-to examples for me because when they were on the Blazers that one year, I don't remember what year I'm thinking of specifically, but they both shot well from three. Uh, Mo Harkless on like two attempts per game shot like 38%. So you could be like, yeah, that's a really low volume so maybe not but Alfred Camino shot like five threes a game on 38% and in the playoffs teams were leaving both of them open without hesitation and they were missing every fucking time and that's kind of what I thought was going to happen with Randall and RJ to some extent however I didn't expect Randall to shoot 30% from three on seven attempts also Mid-range shots have been a big thing because mid-range shots were a big part of Randall's game this year. Uh, he, he's always gone to mid-range shots, but this year in particular, high volume, pretty good efficiency in the low 40s, so not amazing, but definitely good enough to where him shooting the volume that he did was acceptable. If we're looking at his stats last year, 10% of his threes came from, or 10% of his shots came from uh, 10 to 16 feet. 8% came from 16 feet to the three-point line, so around 18% in total from around free throw line to just inside the three-point line. This year, it went from 18% to 28%, so that 10% increase was also followed by better percentages. He shot about the same from 10 to 16 feet, but he shot 41% from 16 feet to the three-point line, and of course, he took the massive leap from behind the arc. Uh, and it really seems like some of the physical, more physical elements of Randall's game, especially getting to the basket, have just not been quite there in the playoffs. It's really like settling for jumpers. Uh, if you look up, uh, this is interesting, actually. The average distance on his shots this year went from 10 feet to 14 feet. Uh, I think that speaks to the increase in volume in jumpers. Now, of course, Randall got much better this year because of that increase in jumpers and 
over 71 games, you cannot act like that shooting that shooting is a fluke. Like 30 games, and I was like, okay, maybe he'll come back down to earth. 70 games is enough. He's he's shown that he is uh, a, a, at least a pretty good shooter in a regular season. Uh, but playoffs, not the same story. Uh, I did mention RJ Barrett. RJ, I'm going to be a lot more lenient on because this is just his second year, as well as the fact that RJ has been one of the more over-criticized players uh, over the last couple or last two years. And that's for me as well. Uh, I, I saw people bring up old tweets of mine when I was praising RJ Barrett. And I was like, really? I didn't even remember being that low on him. But I think I called him like more athletic Evan Turner at some point. So even I was not giving him the benefit of the doubt when I should have, because really when you look at his rookie season, a lot of it was poor space that resulted in his numbers being what they are and this year he's at 17 points six rebounds three assists on not the best but pretty good efficiency so i give him that credit uh he's a pretty damn good player second best score on the team in his second year at least in the regular season because best score has been fucking derrick rose uh but in the playoffs 40 or 34 percent from the field 25 percent from three on five attempts uh that will obviously go up after this game because i think he was like two for four two oh no two for six okay maybe not it'll go up a little bit because that's 33 percent but uh yeah, not not great from RJ either. Uh, so I was worried about shooting falling off a bit for the Knicks. However, didn't think it'd do it to this degree. Didn't think it happened to this degree to their two best players. I had my worry, but I didn't think it'd be this fucking bad. Uh, maybe I should have doubled down on a, that concern because I would have looked a little bit smarter than just saying, hey, I'm a little hesitant on this because now I clearly should have been very fucking hesitant. Um like I said, RJ had a great game in this game four, so I'll, I, you got to give him credit for that. But uh, obviously, not enough on the Hawks side of things. I've really just been focusing on Randall and the Knicks in this video. Uh, the Hawks just played fantastic offensively. Of course, uh, defending the Knicks has not been that difficult. Uh, DeAndre Hunter has done a great job on Randall, kind of preventing him from getting to the paint and getting so many jump shots off. I also do want to mention uh, that... Uh, there was one possession in particular why, why I talk about Randall settling for jumpers. Where there's like eight seconds on the clock and he had Trey Young on him and he took a mid-range pull-up over him. And it's like, really? Trey Young is like four foot two. You're really strong and you in the regular season and especially in earlier seasons of your career were extremely physical. So don't know why you're taking a pull-up shot over Trey Young. That's, that's not the best... Uh, decision in the world. I also do actually want to look at playoff shooting as well. Uh, he is shooting 17% from 10 to 16 feet, has not hit a 16 foot to three point line shot, uh, and his average distance has increased slightly. So there's that. Uh, his percentage of shots at the basket, uh, 20%. Uh, it was actually 16%. Wow, it got down to 16%. I mean, comparatively, his last year in LA, he was at 54. So he's really changed his game up. I, I knew that, but like, I didn't realize it was that steep. Holy shit. Uh, but anyways, I'm just looking at fucking basketball reference at this point. But on the Hawks side of things, uh, I tweeted out about, it, about this game, and a Knicks fan rightfully said, the Hawks don't fucking miss. Uh, and that's what was happening in this game. Because, you know, we've had a lot of good Trey Young games in these first three games. That's really what the story has been. This team really can't defend Trey Young. Uh, their pick and roll coverage is not the best. They haven't slapped the wing on him like I would like, but it is what it is. Uh, but Trey has been able to just tear apart their defense, make some incredible passes out to shooters. He did shoot 
terribly from three this game, but still relatively efficient, uh, 27 and nine. Uh, but then John Collins finally showed up. He's played like 15 minutes a game. First three games. I think he played like 12 game three, um, 22 in this one. Uh, was hitting shots. He hit one mid-range shot over Julius Randle in particular that was a very, like, last-second shot that was very impressive. And Danilo Gallinari didn't play like dog-ass this game, so shout-out to him for that because first two games that I watched, he was trash. And I actually forgot to mention that in one of my post-game recaps about it, and I was annoyed that I didn't mention it. Um, Kevin Herter played well. Bogdanovich shot four for nine from three. Hit one three at the end of the buzzer, or around the end of the buzzer for the third quarter that was like, yeah, I feel like that shot's kind of what ended it. Like, there's still another quarter left, but I don't see the Knicks coming back from this one. Uh, And, like, that three was really well contested. He just made it, uh, and that's just kind of how this game was. Like, the, the, the Knicks actually played pretty respectable defense on everything except for Trey Young, but that fact alone resulted in a lot of open shots, and even the non-open shots were just dropping today, and were dropping in many other instances. Uh, outside of that, also Clint Capella on the boards today, three offensive rebounds. Uh, it felt like all of those offensive rebounds were major, except for that one that he traveled on. Uh, I mentioned offensive rebounding being a concern, but I said, hey, the Knicks are a pretty good rebounding team, so it'll probably be fine. Uh, but in this game, the rebounding differential, I know it was big around halftime. So it was 39 to 33. Okay. Uh, so it's not as bad as it was. I think it was like 19 to eight in like some, at like the end of the first quarter, somewhere in that ballpark. So the, the differential was made up for, but at least early rebounding was a big part of this game. Um, and then just the fact that the Knicks offense is not good. And I, I was giving them the benefit of the doubt, especially when I predict them to win this series in seven games that the offense they showed in the latter half of the season which was top 10 for a good stretch after being more towards the bottom of the barrel at the start of the season i was giving them the benefit the benefit of the doubt that they were closer to that than what they were at the start of the year clearly they did not deserve that benefit because that was not the case uh randall just not good rj barrett just not great and i i'm not as critical about him because he's not as old and not probably about to get a max contract relatively soon uh derrick rose stepped up when no one else on this fucking team could create a shot alec burks had that amazing game one but other than that offensively things have been rough uh emmanuel quickly only played 13 minutes in this game i just realized that that's interesting. Um, but yeah, that is uh, that is that for this game. Uh, I did not cover yesterday's games because other than the Memphis game, kind of, none of them were that good. So I was like, I just watched four basketball games and none of them are worthy of content. So no video. Anyways, today I am covering, uh, or not today, um, right now I am covering Lakers versus Suns game four as the Suns bounce back after a really rough game three and win this one pretty damn convincingly. The Lakers did end up making it a, a decent game, uh, but really this game was kind of over. As soon as Anthony Davis got injured, I believe it was around the third quarter uh, that that injury happened. It was something to do with his um, groin and it, its potential that that will keep him out for the series. So that's a important talking point. Um, but that injury, Chris Paul looked a lot better. And as I've been saying over and over again, 
the Suns and really like when I said in my video pre previewing game two, I said the Suns are not going to shoot this poorly from three, specifically with their wings forever. Those wings being Jay Crowder and Mikael Bridges. Mikael today and Jay both go three for eight from outside, which is not amazing, but it's both 37%. So pretty good. And Jay hit a dagger three at the and in, in that towards the end of the fourth quarter as the Lakers were trying to make a run. Uh, and he made sure that that did not happen. Now, Chris Paul played 31 minutes, scored 18 points, and got nine assists. He, after hitting a very difficult uh, mid-range shot over Andre Drummond, because Andre actually got a damn good contest on it, uh, the camera panned over and he was yelling, I'm back, over and over. Uh, and I would say, yeah, he's back, relatively speaking. Now, he still only played 31 minutes. There are guys here who played 39, and that, of course, is, you know, he's not playing as much as he could be, but being that he played like 25 the game before and looked a little bit better, I'd say he's at least at like 85% at this point, which is fucking huge. But then when you add on to it that Anthony Davis is going to be out at least next game, I got to assume, like, I imagine it's not just a half of a game injury because it did not look great. It didn't look like it's going to be a long-term thing, but something that's enough that, you know, don't play at least one game. Uh, that could mean, especially because they're playing on Phoenix's home court in game five, I could see the Suns taking a 3-2 lead in this one. And uh, once again, the Lakers have their back kind of against the wall. LeBron in this one was very, very passive uh, for a good chunk of it, which, which once again was a little frustrating because my whole point in my video preview in game two and really just talking about how the Lakers handled the game one specifically was that the Lakers were not taking this team as seriously as they should. And especially with Chris Paul being back, AD potentially being out for the series, uh, LeBron should be a little bit more aggressive. Now, when AD went out, uh, he pretty much turned that aggressiveness back on and he uh, finished with 25 points and he was much more aggressive in that fourth quarter, although he was taking threes that were not dropping. So that's a thing. Um, yeah, this is it, this game for the Lakers overall. Uh, Marcus Gasol was a standout here. He ended up getting more minutes than Drummond. He specifically got minutes as soon as AD was out. Um, and that was like the spacing difference there was immaculate. Uh, three assists, three blocks, just uh, I think he hit yeah he hit three three pointers he was just much more um, just just reliable and consistent and like spacing the floor being a really good playmaker when he needs to be like that is just more valuable than what Andre Drummond brings sorry uh, and Drummond's minutes back down to 19 after I think game three he played almost 30 or somewhere in that ballpark um, so hopefully, especially with AD being out, this is a sign that we're going to see more Marcus Gasol. Uh, I do want to mention, just because I see him in here, Ben McLemore played 15 minutes. Uh, he hit two three-pointers, and one of those threes was from a wild assist from LeBron. Uh, just go watch that clip. If you didn't watch this game, just look up that assist and uh, try and find it. It was a remarkable pass. Not that we're not used to that with LeBron. Uh, on the Phoenix end of things, this was actually offensively, outside of Bridges, Crowder, and Chris Paul, not as standout. While Ayan had a bit of a run in the third quarter where he was really getting it going for the most part, this is the worst game he's played in the series. Uh, he was 6 for 8 from the field, 14 points, 17 rebounds. Now, 
it says a lot about how great his first three games were that 14 and 17 is his worst game of the series because that's still a damn good performance. But, you know, it, it, it's not as good as the first three games and he was not feasting as much in the paint as he was previous. And Devin Booker, once again, the defense did a good job guarding him. Granted, there were a lot of shots that he would make pretty typically that just didn't go in in this game. Uh, and Cameron Payne, once again, was great off of the bench. But, um... This game really came down to the Lakers were not as aggressive as you'd like. I think they like made three shots in the third quarter, so that's not good. Once uh, AD went down, there was a little bit of a scramble, and then eventually LeBron started just turning it on and being more aggressive. Uh, I do expect come game five that LeBron will probably drop like 40 points. Like I think he's going to be coming at this like it's a fucking finals game, game five, especially, well, specifically if AD does not play. Of course, we don't know the nature of the injury 100% yet, uh, but I have a feeling at least one game based on just what my eyes saw. Uh, And if that happens, LeBron can't afford to not be aggressive in that game. Just straight up can't, especially with Chris Paul looking like he's healthy, like he's progressively gotten better as each game goes along. So I just got to assume that by game five, at the very least game six, Chris is probably 100 hundred percent um if he's not already so uh ad injury chris paul back uh this game the lakers looked really rough around the edges at times and the suns uh some of the weaknesses from previous games ended up being strengths today the shooting from the wing and chris paul and then their strengths kind of dipped a little bit Aiton was less dominant as a finisher and Booker was not scoring, although he didn't really score much in game three either because the Lakers defense focusing on him on him hard and really prevented him from scoring. Um, So if you think they get that wing shooting, Aiton is great in the paint. Booker has a more standard like 25 on decent efficiency game. Chris Paul is great. And then the Lakers don't have uh, Anthony Davis. And LeBron maybe isn't as aggressive as you'd like him to be, at least early. Uh, Andre Drummond is on the floor for a little bit too long. I can definitely see the Suns winning Game 5. And that is going to be... I mean, Game 5, when it's a tied series, is always a pivotal game in the series. Uh, And obviously, having home court advantage in that situation is preferable. And, of course, the Suns do. So, right now, after Game 3, where it looked like the Lakers were just going to steamroll the rest of the series because... LeBron was laughing as he was dominating this team and Andre Drummond was doing like the post shimmy with the shoulder things like just mimicking LeBron like that it, that very much seemed like okay this is the point when LeBron and the Lakers don't take this team seriously anymore and like the last time I can think of that is when LeBron just decided to shoot 50 fadeaways a game versus the Raptors and all of them went in um it, when when LeBron just is over it and he's just like, I'm not taking these guys seriously. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like a mental thing with the teams of the past, but as soon as it's like, this guy does not respect us at all. Uh, most teams seem to fold under that. It seems like the Suns in this game were more like, okay, we're going to make you respect us. And I respect that. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mean to make it out like that, but you know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, this game, Suns bounce back. Lakers could be in trouble. Not much to say outside of that. Uh, it was a pretty standard game for both teams. Nothing that particularly stands out. I found it interesting they went back to Frank Kaminsky uh, in very brief stretches and did not get any Dario Saric. Uh, 
not much to say about that, but it's just interesting. He only played six minutes. Like basically the the one stretch of time where Aiton is not playing basketball, Frank Kaminsky plays. It's not a big deal. I just found it interesting. This video, I'm going to be covering the uh, Clippers Mavericks game four that just went down. Uh, the Clippers won once again, meaning that both teams lost both of their games on their home floor. This time around, it was even more convincing than in game three. Uh, Part of this had to do with Luca's shoulder injury, and we have to talk about that, or at least mention it for the context of how this game went. Um, and I think there might be some people who might argue like, hey, he got that injury in game three and he still played fine with that injury. Really, I think that's just because of, um, what's the term I'm looking for, adrenaline? Uh, I, or not even really just adrenaline, just this happens when you're playing. I've had experiences before where I got hurt playing basketball or just got hurt doing really any physical activity or even just, just soreness from doing it. And you don't really feel it in the moment. You finish doing it and then you lay down and then like you wake up the next day and you're like, holy fuck, I am in so much pain. It's very well possible that the actual pain of the injury was not that severe at the time that he got it. And then after a day's rest and he really feels it going into this game, he really feels it. It affects his shot early on in this game. Luca was getting the same kind of looks that he typically does. By the way, my washer is on and it's really fucking loud. So if you can hear that, I apologize. Uh, it's, it's getting really loud right now. Um, Luca was not hitting his shots early. Uh, what I did find interesting is that the Mavericks actually tried to challenge what the Clippers did at the start of the game. I don't know if the starting lineup did not have Zubac because I missed the first like two minutes of this game because um, I, I'm used to the like TNT or whatever starting the game 15 minutes later than they should, and they actually started this game on time for once, so that was a nice change of events. Um, but I missed the first minute or two as a result of that, and uh, as soon as I turned on the game, they were going to the small ball, li small ball lineup with Marcus Morris at center, Nick Batum at power forward, uh, and the Mavericks tried to counter this, Rick Carlisle tried to counter this, by putting Boban on the floor. He said, okay, fuck you, I'm going to put the one guy on this team that can actually dominate in the paint at times um, and he did actually do that a little bit uh, and as a result the Clippers forced to bring Zubak back out uh, and Luca had a couple of opportunities on the switch once again um, but the shots just were not dropping and I, I've mentioned this before that Luca hasn't taken the fullest advantage of the switch with Zubak because he uh, almost always ends up taking a jumper out of it. Uh, it's just that the contest on those jumpers are always really poor. I would still like try and get by him before doing jump shots, but at the end of the day, it was working. Um, with his shot not being as on today, uh, that really was not working for him. And eventually, uh, because Boban has his own issues on the other end of the floor and the Clippers were taking advantage of it because once again, Kawhi and PG and especially Kawhi had great performances today. Uh, they had to sit Boban and then eventually Zubak was out and then it was back to square one where the Clippers were running that small ball lineup. And I really think that small ball lineup has kind of fucked with the Mavericks. Now, game three... They mainly, like, I think Zubak played like 11 minutes. They went to the small ball lineup for pretty much all but those 11 minutes. And, of course, that was a much closer game. Luka had like 44 points. 
but no one else on the Mavericks really contributed. So that game really came down to, hey, if the Mavericks hit some more of their shots, on top of the fact that the Clippers shot ridiculously well, then they should probably be fine. They'll probably win game four. But this time around, not only did Mavericks players not make their shots, but Luka was not making his shots, mostly because of that shoulder injury. So... Uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, so now the Clippers are up, or not up, they're tied at the series up at 2-2. Uh, and I am concerned for the Mavericks because I really feel like that adjustment has really been decisive in how this series has gone because they've won those two games with those adjustments. Also, I have to mention, Tim Hardaway Jr. had an injury that did not look good. Uh, I am afraid that it's going to end up being severe, but hopefully it's not, and he'll be ready for Game 5. But... At the very least, I think it's going to be a game or two out, and he's like been their second best offensive player, uh, so that's not good to say the least. Uh, and it's worth mentioning that Kawhi in this game—I mean, I, I said it a second ago—but Kawhi in this game, holy shit! It did not seem like he missed. Uh, the game is actually still going on. Uh, Briefly, at least I think it should be because I, I decided to record this video about seven minutes left in the game because it was that big of a deficit. Uh, okay, the game just like just ended. Um, so Kawhi had 29 points, which doesn't sound like a lot, but he was 11 for 15. It didn't seem like he could miss any time he shot the ball. So that was a thing. Paul George actually did not play great for the whole game. He kind of started good and then gradually just shots just weren't dropping. But really, this game came down to Kawhi couldn't miss. The small ball was effective. And most importantly of all, no one on the Mavericks could really score. Uh, Porzingis, ironically, at least relative to how he'd been performing and really even comparing Luka's numbers, he probably had the best game of any Maverick, which is terrible. It, the way Porzingis has been playing, if this is the best performance you're getting today, you're fucked. So that's kind of how it went. Uh, 81 points from the Mavericks, who I believe are a top five offense. I think that says all you need to know. This Clippers scheme, just basically running four forwards which is wild but i guess that's where basketball is today because paul george is a fucking small forward even though he plays the two Kawhi leonard is a small forward even though he plays the two nick batum is a small forward he plays the four marcus morris is probably more of a power forward but he's fully capable of playing small forward so it's just reggie jackson plus four small forwards and that defensive scheme is much better switch wise because reggie is like six four six five so it's not the same as six one patrick beverly switching on to him or 6-2 Rondo uh, and Morris can uh, the thing is the reason why this works so well is because Porzingis is not someone who takes advantage of his height at all if Porzingis was like Boban and was really good physically and took advantage of his size when he can uh, then this would be a different story uh, Boban like I said has his own issues and that's the reason why he doesn't actually play a ton um, but if he if if Kristaps was just physical and took advantage of being seven foot three, this whole defensive scheme that the Clippers are doing wouldn't work because they would be giving up a huge lapse there. They'd be giving Porzingis easy post points every possession, but that's not who he is, and that's a problem. Uh, Porzingis had a good game today, relatively speaking, but still did not put the pressure on the defense that you would like someone at his size to do, and that is a problem. Um, as for how the rest of this series goes, 
Um, I'm still going to pick the Mavericks to win, but I can't say I'm not concerned. I made a video uh, on my main channel that 110,000 people saw where I basically said I have had little reason to think that the Clippers could win this series. Uh, so part of it's like at a certain point, I've talked so much shit that I kind of need the Mavericks to win this. Otherwise, that's just going to look dumb. It is what it is. I've looked dumb multiple times. I look dumb almost every day in some regard, but I would like to have that happen less. So uh, hopefully the Mavericks win this one. Also, Luka is like my third, fourth favorite player in the league at this point. So obviously I've been rooting for him this whole time. Hopefully that shoulder injury is only bad for this game and for the rest of the series, he should be fine. Of course, they're going uh, back to Los Angeles and with the momentum being more in their favor, I'm curious uh, if the Clippers, or not audience, um, uh, crowd will be a little bit more engaged and possibly get some momentum going for them. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, it's game game down to uh, Clippers defensive scheme worked. Uh, Rick Carlisle tried to counter it, but then that came with its own flaws defensively. And at the end of the day, these teams are kind of stuck. Just it's good. At, at, at this point, it's come down to which team can outshoot each other because they're not doing the greatest job defending each other. So who is going to shoot the best in this series? Like the reason game three was so great was. PG in the first half could not miss, and Kawhi throughout the entire game could not miss. This game, Kawhi could not miss, and then everyone in the Mavericks could not make a shot. So it really seems like this series is coming down to who is hitting and missing their shots, and it's stupid that it's as simple as that, but both of these offenses are also very basic, so like, really just comes down to the shots that they're generating, do they go in or do they not? That's the end of it. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I feel like there's something I'm supposed to remote, but I don't think there is. Check out the audio. But yeah, that's it. Goodbye.